In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome along Hayden Patton as my guest. It's a fascinating story. He tells us right from his early karting career, right through rallying New Zealand, and then moving to Europe to start competing in the WRC. Here's a short clip of him winning Rally Argentina in 2016. I think this clip just captures the, the excitement of the time. And here is Patton. Now, will the work pay off? It is now or never, Hayden. 2.6 seconds in hand, that's very little. But is Auger about to ruin your day? Hayden has got to give it everything he's got. He's got to drive like never before. He's never been so close to a win as this. Here comes a Hyundai hero now. And we need to get the clocks up and find out. Is history about to be made or has it all been in vain? There they are. 2.6 seconds was the margin at the top. The end of the weekend is there. Now the clocks say he has done it. He's done it, but does he know? And now the news is broken to the crew. <laughs> Patton and Ken are joined the WRC Winners Club, the first Kiwis to take a round of the World Championship ever. The Kiwi has soared over the Condor. No words, absolutely no words. I gave that stage absolutely everything. Yeah. Unbelievable, I can't describe it. Uh, you know, huge thanks to everyone back home in New Zealand, everyone who sat out watching and... Uh, you know, huge thanks to someone back in uh, Norway, uh, Ollie, who's been, uh, we've been focusing on the stage for three weeks now. And uh, I never thought it would pay off, but all that homework, <laughs> I can't believe it. In this episode, I'm also joined by Connor Edwards. Connor wanted to have a few words with Hayden about the electric vehicle he's developing in New Zealand, the Hyundai. It's a fascinating project, and it's just mind-blowing the technologies involved in it. I started off by asking Hayden how you first became involved in motorsport. Oh geez I'm getting pretty old now so it's pretty <laughs> hard to remember back that long but um, yeah obviously my father was a driver and uh, before I was even born so you know as even as a toddler you know I was caught up around that rally environment and taking along to rallies and probably getting in the way more than anything but um, <laughs> yeah my sort of first memories of, of sitting in the car was maybe when I'm around two or three sitting on my old man's lap um, mm -hmm. driving the car around the paddock uh, but yeah it's very very vague shall we say yeah. Uh, uh -huh. but yeah that's where it all started and then of course uh, into the go-karts and uh, which you do a lot of people in New Zealand here do very from a very young age from that sort of five six years old and uh, you know if we grew up a, a little bit on the farm so you had a bit of open space and uh -huh. places where you can go uh, play around so uh, yeah that's where it all all began. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned the go-kart, was the go-karts really a stopgap until you could get into a car and go rallying or was it something that you considered? Was it going racing or was it always rallying? Uh, well, to begin with, you know, it was all for fun as you're a kid, you know, it was uh -huh. uh, like, you know, you're incredibly lucky to go out on the weekends and go race go-karts and start off with the family dirt karts when I was younger and then uh, beyond that it developed into what we call here formula karts, which is like on a racetrack. So we did that for a few years and at the age of 12, before I went out and bought my first car, um, you know, my, my father actually said, look, you need to decide, do you want to go rallying or do you want to go circuit racing? And, the, and we sort of had a, once we sold my go-kart, we had a six-month a six sort of standby, if you like, to decide which way do I want to go. And 
I always knew I wanted to go rallying. To be honest, I spent I didn't have to spend six months deciding because I already knew what I wanted to do. Uh, simply because that's what I was always brought up around, and that's what I, you know, my father was a massive role model, and mm -hmm. I absolutely admired what he did with rallying. So, yeah, it was a no-brainer. Uh, but yeah, there was a, a decision-making process there when I was younger. Uh, well, first car I actually had was a Mini. Um, oh, that's why I've got this little sick obsession with Minis now because that yeah. uh, was my first race car. But yeah, 500 bucks bought my first Mini, and and for a few years, just you know, at the age of 13, just doing like autocrosses, motorcars, hill climbs, real sort of real good, you know, tests to, to develop the driving and, and, and the techniques. And and then uh, then went into my father's Toyota Corolla when I was uh, 15, which mm -hmm. is in New Zealand when you can get your, your civil driver's license. So, oh, yeah, yeah, first rally with my lunar plates on the car. Um, <laughs> certainly, certainly got a few uh, looks, if you like. But, um, yeah, there was a bit of a progression there. And the Mini was a great way. Like, you know, my father was very um, set on for me to develop as a driver. I had to learn how to drive a front-wheel drive car. And that's where the whole idea of a Mini come from. Because ah. it sort of taught you the right driving technique, left foot braking, carrying all the speed. Um, and that then went into the front-wheel drive Corolla. And then, of course, beyond that, four-wheel drive. So, that was always the, the front-wheel drive route that we always took. Oh yeah, I saw that there was always a, like a, a vision of where you were going right from the, the very early age. And like, so then in 2005, you went four-wheel drive in the Mitsubishi Evo, and the success started to roll quite quickly from there, really. Uh, yeah, well, even like even in those early years, like you know, I had a dream to be a world champion. You know, I remember watching my idol Colin McRae win the '95 RAC, and you know, as a kid, that was that was you know the ultimate for me, but you know, also when you're in little old New Zealand on the other side of the world and, you know, back there in the uh, 90s, early 2000s, you know, internet wasn't that big. So you couldn't follow what was going on like you can nowadays in the WRC. So to think the WRC was on the other side of the world seemed so far away. It was like someone wanted to be an astronaut. It just, it was a dream, but it, I didn't think it was much of a reality. But once we made that step into a four-wheel drive car uh, in 2005, all of a sudden that's when you started to believe a little bit that, yeah, okay, actually maybe this something is possible. You know, I'm 18 year old, uh, driving a four wheel drive car for the first time. Uh, my father's put everything into purchasing this car. You know, we weren't a wealthy family or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so everything was worked for very hard um, by my father and myself. And, you know, that was a big stepping stone. And yeah, getting into a four wheel drive car after coming from a Toyota, you know, that transition felt like going to a hood rally car. I remember <laughs> the first time driving that car and yeah, driving down the road with full throttle and you're just hanging on for dear life going <laughs> how am I going to hang on to this on a gravel road let alone a tarmac road so um but yeah like uh you know it's part of that progression stepping up that you just you learn and you adapt and uh that was a big part of that yeah and like uh another part of that uh progression was getting John Cannard on the co-driver a guy that who had been and seen the world and I suppose this was probably another thing that was going to help you get to where you wanted to be yeah, when, when we made a step up to the New Zealand Rally Championship the following year in 2006, um, which actually come about because our Evo 4 burnt to the ground uh, at the end of 2005, uh, which wasn't the best of incidents, but um, from that it created an opportunity where a lot of local people in our community got together and they liked what we were trying to do and, and we couldn't replace the car. Um, people fundraised and, and went out of the way to try and help us to get back in, which then got us back into the New Zealand Championship the following year. And, you know, part of that progression was, you know, we needed a co-driver in the car with some experience. And, you know, that's when you started, you know, looking around to see who was available. And, and someone mentioned um, this guy called John Kennard, who had just got back from the UK the previous year. Um, he had been over there working with ProDrive and All Stars and 
had a lot of experience based in Europe for many, many years and, and had just come back to New Zealand. So uh, I, I'd never heard of him, but we gave him a call and um, he was interested to sit in the car for a test and everything and everything went really well. And pretty much from there, there's been no looking back. It's been uh, 15 years now. Uh, John, like Now John and I are still working together here in New Zealand and okay, there's mm-hmm. a couple of years in the WRC where we were working with Seb. Uh, but predominantly, it's you know it's been John since day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like as I say, success come fairly quickly. You know, you were winning the New Zealand junior title, narrowly missing out on the overall title that first year. So like, um, like obviously there was a talent there and comfortable in the car. Do you feel looking back, you know, that you got nominated for the Pirelli Star Driver in two thousand and nine? Um, was this? like a, a monumental shift in your progression in your career at that stage? Yeah, there, there was a lot of questions of how you went from New Zealand to get overseas. Um, so we had a three-year plan to try and win the New Zealand Championship, which we did. And then to progress further forward from that, we really needed something to come along. We needed to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and that Pirelli Star Driver Scholarship was just that. Um, and it, that's a massive difficulty coming from this part of the world. You know, you do a national championship here for in the vicinity of, let's say, £50,000 on the cheap. Uh, and that's what we were doing it for in those days. Um, to then go to WRC uh, in the same car, in a production grouping car, to do the same amount of rallies, six rallies, you went to £500,000. So to do that jump from £50,000 to £500,000 uh, was massive. And, you know, as a, again, we didn't have the finances behind us like a lot of others, and we had to really work hard. And that scholarship was that bridging gap. Without that Pirelli Star Driver Scholarship, we would have never, ever got to Europe. Um, and that's what gave us our, our opportunity to, I guess, tip, dip our toes in the water over there and um, and get sucked in by this big thing called WRC because once you're in, you don't want, you don't want to leave it. So, yeah, uh, yeah that, was, that was massive. Without that, as I say, we would have never achieved what we what we achieved. Yeah. And, like, you know, you talked to it really, really well. Like, I'm just looking, you know, your results, you know, strong podium pace, and not just on gravel, but on tar as well, which, you know, coming up from New Zealand, which you have been really gravel roads, to show that versatility was fantastic in your first year at that level. Uh, yeah, well, the very first Tarmac rally I'd ever done was uh, 2010 um, WRC Rally Germany. Never done a Tarmac rally before that. So, and I think we finished second or third or something there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and even at the latter part of my WRC career, then when we were there in 2008, or two, uh, 2018, sorry, I'd still only done maybe 10 tarmac rallies in my life and maybe two or 300 gravel rallies. Uh, you know, we just don't have tarmac in New Zealand. Um, and any tarmac we do have here is the bloody motorway going to Auckland or something. So, um, yeah, it is a bit more foreign to us Kiwis, the, the yeah. tarmac. And, you know, we learn to grow up on the gravel and our gravel roads, as everybody knows, like some of the best in the world here. It's like, it is like a motorway on gravel because it's so smooth and cambered and flowing and Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to go to the tarmac when you got that on your back doorstep. Yeah, I like we think of Colin McRae and was it that stage Mutu, isn't it? That he just, Mutu, yeah. yeah, he seemed to just blast everybody. That 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 better road just conjured up just magic in any rally fans' heads. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now everyone always loved, and, every, and even to this day, everyone still raves about Rally New Zealand. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully we can see it back on the calendar again one day in the future. Yeah, it would be fantastic. It really would. Um, so like. After that first year in the Pirelli Star Driver, then you're back in 2011 to the PWRC with a Subaru this year, um, claim four ones. So that obviously was good progression from your point of view. 
Yeah, well, like we knew from 2010 to 2011 that we, we had to stay in the, in the WRC. Um, you know, the only only downside to that probably so driver scholarship is that there was no follow-on. So you knew at the end of 2010, you're back on your own. And obviously that brought into the situation, the whole funding um, discussion again. So we knew we had to stay there if we had any chance. And that's when we started the whole funding company here in New Zealand, where we sold, sold shares, where people invested in us. Um, mm. And, you know, to go out and win the rallies four in a row, that actually helped us uh, sell shares and raise the capital because we were raising the money as we went. Uh, and obviously to win the production world championship was was huge um, but probably the biggest accomplishment that year was actually even doing it you know we had to raise a million New Zealand dollars for many years before that there was many people or some people in New Zealand who always told me it wasn't possible to do what we were doing you know it hadn't been done from the style of the world um, you know it was unrealistic financially um, so the fact that we got there with shareholders sponsors investors to even make that campaign possible was probably the biggest accomplishment. And then obviously the win, the production world championship was really the icing on the cake, not just for me, but for the 68 different people that got involved in what we're doing that year. Brilliant, brilliant. And then 2012 and 13, um, the S2000 was becoming the, you know, the, the, the second category in WRC, so you went down that route. Probably fair to say that probably wasn't your best time um, you you incredibly fast, but seem to be let down a lot by mechanical issues and one thing or another. Uh, yeah, two thousand twelve. Um, we actually had a couple of opportunities to win to, to win the championship that year. Uh, but yeah, mm -hmm. we just had a few things that didn't work out our way. We had some uh, some strange engine, uh, engine failures. Um, yeah, a lot of mechanicals. Um, made a small mistake in France. We got stuck with two wheels still on the road uh, when we were leading the rally going into the last day. Um, you know, just lots of little silly things that year in 2012. But, you know, we had the speed and even against uh, OJ that year, who was competing in the Skoda when he was doing the, the Super 2000 thing as well. So um, mm -hmm. there was still lots of positives to take away from that year. But, you know, it really did dry up our funds that year. You know, mm -hmm. again, we were trying to find money as we went and it was getting tougher and tougher. And in 2013, we only could do, I think, two events in the Skoda, uh, Finland and Germany, because that's all the funds that we had. We had to select a couple. We wanted to select one gravel, one tarmac. Okay. to try and make an impression with the right people. So um, come 2013, we were scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms yeah. of funds. And uh, and then, of course, we were, we were lucky to get an opportunity to debut in the World Rally Car uh, later that year. Um, yeah, thanks to someone who's back here in New Zealand, yeah, back in right. Spain. So, uh -huh. um, again, that just come up because, you know, someone wanted us to be there. They We were well in the red, if you like, and we dug ourselves a big hole. and. Uh -huh. um, you know, we got rescued by someone who said, no, we, we need to get them in a world rally car and gave us that opportunity. So um, yeah, we're, we're very lucky to, to get that. And then, of course, at the same time, Hyundai had announced that they were going to be entering the World Championship the following year. And we sort of chased that like a dog with a bone, um, okay. seeing it as an opportunity all of a sudden for us to uh, have a last-ditch attempt to stand the WRC because uh, if Hyundai didn't enter then, uh, we were gone after 2013. Okay. We had no money and no opportunities and uh, -huh. uh yeah we're very much on our last legs uh -huh. and like so you know you got the call in for 2014 to be part of this new team it must have been felt like all your christmases come at once then yeah i wouldn't say we got the call uh we had to go chasing it <laughs> um you know as i say uh as i say we're, we're like a dog with a bone we yeah. you know as soon as that announcement came out you know i was talking to hyundai korea i was talking to hyundai new zealand i was on the phone i was sending countless emails i was sending my cv off to everybody 
you know, I knew that was an opportunity for us because up until then, the manufacturers that were involved were not interested in, in the New Zealand car market. And, you know, the commercial side of the sport is, is a very real um, proposition that you have to consider. And all of a sudden, Hyundai was a key car seller in, in Australasia. Um, so we saw an opportunity. So, yeah, it took a lot of negotiation and, and there's still a little bit of funding involved. But, um, yeah, once we got the, the nod to have a, a limited program in 2014 with an official manufacturer team, uh, it was certainly a dream come true. And, um, yeah, it was uh, pretty amazing, to, as I say, to just even to get that opportunity. Yeah, and, like, you know, right from the, the start, you know, like when you're in a team along with Kerry Neville and Hannon and sort of, you had to be, you had, you had to step up your game because, like, there's no point in going there and just fighting around. You had to be competitive. You've got to be competitive, but I think you've also got to do it in a very methodical way in terms of my, throughout my career, I've never been one of these drivers that go out and just, you know, when, when you've got all the pressure and you've got the atmosphere and you've got the environment, it's sometimes easy to get overexcited and go and think that you have to prove a point. And then all you end up doing is crashing on the first corner and you make no point. You know, throughout my career, I've always built things up gradually. You know, I've always had goals and plans. And 2014 was just that. It was about, okay, we're not here to set the world alight this year. We're here to set some goals, make those goals very um, uh, known to the team and achieve those goals, hit those targets and show progression. Like from when we started in 14 to where we ended in 14 mm-hmm. was a massive gain. We made big uh, big strides forward um, and learning off our teammates. Like when you got people like Sordo and Terry and Yuho and all those guys, they were massive for me to learn off the mm-hmm. use their data, their car set up, their information, just talking to them. And, and you know, I developed tenfold as a driver over the next sort of throughout 2014 and 2015. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, to round off 2006, uh, 14, sorry, uh, was Australia like, probably the event closest to home for you? To come away there with sixth overall just showed what you had learned throughout the year. That must have given you great confidence then going into 2015. Yeah, well, obviously, I think um, by that stage we'd secured another contract for 2015. So at that stage, we were on one-year contract. So, of course, there was, there was always pressure to perform and, and meet your objectives so you can try and get another contract. Um, and, yeah, as I say, it was all about progression. You know, Hyundai knew in those first years that their car wasn't the most competitive. They just wanted to build a car that got them into the WRC, and then there was a lot of development. You know, it was certainly it was certainly no Volkswagen or, or Ford. Um, so, you know, we're a little bit on the back foot to begin with. So, you know, it was more about how we competed against our teammates uh, mm-hmm. rather than the other competitors. And um, there were stages where we were very competitive against our more experienced teammates, and that's what helped us secure that 2015 contract. Yeah, I guess then for 2015, you got a contract for 13 rounds of the championship. Like, so you're obviously impressing the right people and, and becoming a threat uh, to to those teammates. Uh, Sardinia that year went particularly well. Um, you, were, you were leading for a, a good lot of the rally. Like, OJ had a puncture, I think, on the Friday or something. But the, you, you were setting the pace. I know he was chasing you down, but that must have been an absolutely fantastic feeling. Uh, yeah, it was um, uh, to lead that rally out right ahead of everyone. You know, it was come by surprise. Sydney was actually our first rally with the team the year before, and I didn't enjoy the rally in 2014. So when I went back there in 2015, I wasn't really looking forward to that rally that much. Um, but everything just clicked. Um, you know, after a year with the car, everything was just sort of naturally progressing. You're just you're feeling more comfortable with the car, with the setup. Things were just developing naturally, and yeah, things clicked in Sydney, and we're leading the rally for half of it 
uh, until we had a, a gearbox mount broke that um, meant that we had to crawl out of a stage and we, we dropped a lot of time. But to be fair, we were actually quite lucky just to finish that rally. So um, to get through and to get a podium um, in that fashion, which it was completely unexpected because we never went to that rally thinking we could, we could get on the podium. Uh, it was pretty surreal. It was uh, an awesome feeling when you're on that podium for the first time and mm -hmm. something that you only dreamed of as a kid to, to even you know, stand on that podium and see the New Zealand flag uh, behind you. Yeah, very proud moment for you, I'm sure. And, and your family back home as well, too. So, you know, they had put so much on the line to see you doing that. It must have been phenomenal. I did. Well, luckily for us, a lot of our key supporters and, and people were actually there in Sydney. Um, <laughs> so it was pretty cool to share it with them and, and uh, for them to be at the, at the site of our first podium tonight. It was, it was cool. Mm -hmm. So then 2016, then another 13 rounds. Um, Monty probably didn't go to plan, but then into Sweden, things were clicking again. Like, it's never, everyone seemed to align. There was, the speed was definitely there. Um, was the Hyundai a more difficult car than the, the Polos or the Fiestas at that time, just to get everything right? Uh, certainly in 14, 15, the Hyundai was um, a development car, if you like. Come 2016, Hyundai had a whole new car. It was a one-year car, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. they, they spent a lot more time developing, and and uh, that was a much more competitive car, that 2016 car. But, you know, the, the, the potential of that car was huge, but it was a one-year car, and we're up against uh, Volkswagen, who had a very good car, um, but that car had been developed over three years. Mm -hmm. So I think the Hyundai was equally as, as good a car. It just lacked development, and we only had one year to get ahead around it. So, um, but no, come 2016, you know, obviously I think the whole team was more competitive. There was more wins, and again, second in Sweden, completely unexpected. It was only our third snow rally, but um, it just it was a fast rally. I enjoyed the snow, and things just clicked again. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, this naturally the speed's coming. You know, I wasn't pushing things; I was just letting it all naturally build, and and not trying to put too much pressure on myself. Yeah. And then rally Argentina, like where do we even begin there? Like, like dream come true, you were you were suddenly Colin McRae, <laughs> you were the guy's friendly champion at the yeah, end of the rally. It, it was exactly that. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, remember watching my heroes win rallies. Uh, you know, whether it was one rally or not, or more, or a championship, whatever it was, just to win at WRC level, I thought would never be possible. And to do it was really surreal. To, to do it in a a final stage battle with uh, Sebastian Auger makes it probably even sweeter. You know, it was a proper win. It wasn't a win that was gifted to us. We had to fight for three days. We had to fight against two Volkswagens. First, it was Yerry Matty Latvaler and then uh, Sebastian. And um, yeah, it was tooth and nail. It was just one of those rallies where everything worked out well from the tire tactics to the setup to the strategy uh, to the final stage shootout. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty special weekend. And the Sunday was actually pretty daunting because uh, Sunday morning I felt physically pretty sick from the you know pressure of thinking we're on the on the verge of trying to win a rally here for the first time, uh, and then of course Sunday afternoon was probably one of the best days of my life. So it was a, it was a day of two halves, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was it was pretty special that one. Yeah, and like to go into that last stage, like sitting on that start line, knowing that you know if you run wide in the corner nearly, that it would probably be enough to to lose the rally. It must have been just complete 110% maximum focus on that one stage. Yeah, it was. And I, I, to be honest, I had a bit of a fire in my belly. Um, and you know, we went into that stage only two seconds ahead. And I think most of the rally world thought this, um, Seb was going to pass us on the stage and win the rally. But, you know, I just had this fire in my belly. It's like, 
I'm not going to let this happen. You know, we've worked for 20 years to get to this point to be in a position where it comes down to one stage to if you can win a, a WRC or not. And um, for me, it was all or nothing. You know, we'd already been second on some rallies in the past. And, uh, you know, you don't know when your next opportunity is going to come. You don't know if you're going to have another opportunity to win a rally. So for me, it was it was all or nothing. It was mm-hmm. not worried about if you're going to go wide or anything like that. It was just like, right. now's our time. Let's actually take the opportunity and make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Lovely, fantastic. And like um, then, you know, that year continued on. You finished like was it third or fourth in the, the championship. Like a fantastic con- achievement considering like the polos that year were so dominant. Yeah, I, it wasn't a perfect year. Uh, certainly after Argentina, the expectations probably even for myself went up. Um, we actually had a couple of accidents in a row straight after that, so that was one way to go from here to zero pretty quickly. Uh, but then we sort of, through that mid part of the season, we sort of regathered ourselves and had some good consistent results. But yeah, missed out on a couple of results that year. Um, there was a potentially, there was another victory in there that we missed out on. Um, but in saying that, you know, we had a five-year plan in WRC and this was only year, uh, year three. Um, so in general, I was reasonably happy how the year went to, to finish in the top four of the World Championship and um, be fighting for podiums in quite a lot of rallies. Um, was probably more than I expected. So, you know, in terms of the progression, when you looked at it year by year, it was actually uh, right on target. Cool, cool. And then 2017, you know, the new generation World Rally Car, like phenomenal. It must have been so exciting to to see these cars being developed and know that you had the opportunity to be a driver, one of the, one of the elite drivers to be stepping into one of these cars. Yeah, obviously, as drivers, you always want to go faster. Um, again, once you adapt to a car, it actually starts to begin quite uh, feel quite slow. So yeah, the seventh thing car was it was a nice step. You know, it certainly felt faster, it was more exciting. It was um, they're very cool cars, uh, the latest generation World Rally cars. So yeah, it was pretty surreal to have that opportunity to be in there. And of course, in 2015, when we secured a three-year contract, it meant you know we were secure for a 17 and 18 to be at that level driving those cars. So um, yeah, it was uh, an awesome opportunity. It was awesome to be working with the team. And um, but yeah, seventeen. There's not really much to say about seventeen, really. It's uh, it's my black cat year, where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, literally everything I touched just turned to absolute dust in 2017, and, um, and 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 not just even in rallying, just in life in general. So yeah, seventeen's a year that I'd quite like to delete from my memory. Uh, and then it was a matter of trying to reset from that and, and get on with uh, with the, the future years. Mm-hmm. So then you know we go forward to into twenty eighteen. Like um, you, the Hyundai reduced your calendar, but you co- you know you took this in the chin and come back strong. Like you you've got two podiums in that and three other top five finishes. Like for not having the same seat time as your your teammates. That was a very strong, you know, it was a strong year again, really. Yeah, well, 2018 was a tough year mentally because obviously we weren't expecting to get our calendar cut in half. Um, it wasn't what was in our contract, but okay. in the end, you had to accept it. There was nothing you could do and you had to respect the decisions that were made. So it was a matter of actually going away and doing a full reset going, okay, I have to make the most of what we got here. We've got a half program. Our job is to bring home solid points for the team. Uh, it's not going to be all about 100% um, max attack all the time because that won't be doing our job. So, um, yeah, we had a little mishap at one of the rallies in Portugal, but other than that, then it was it was a good, consistent year. We we did everything that was sort of asked of us. We were driving well within ourselves. Um, and in the end, I think, yeah, we, 
I was quite proud of the job that we did from what was asked of us and considering we weren't on the limit and, uh, you know, we're on the podium a couple of times and um, we helped the team score quite good points. So, yeah, I think we ticked the boxes a lot that year. Of course, you always want to have a chance to fight for wins, but uh, first and foremost, you've always got to put the team first. And, um, you know, my position in the team wasn't necessarily the fight for wins. So I had to accept that and, and take on my role, which was to, to bring home the points. And that must have made it all the more difficult then, that, you know, when you got dropped at the end of the season because you'd, you'd played the team game in 2018. Like you obviously yeah, had done enough then to get to one. It was, it was tough. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Uh, and, and especially considering we had an agreement in place. We'd had meetings over the space of three months since Rally Turkey in September. And for those three months leading up to Christmas, we understood we had a deal. We were back in the car again the following year on the same sort of program. And it was a, it was a done deal. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. when we get the phone call to say, Loeb's coming into the team, uh, completely caught us off guard. We had no idea and again nothing you could do the decisions out of your hands and um yeah so that that was a really bit of pill to swallow because you felt like you did everything you were asked of in 2018 and um did the job that was required and uh you know i think we were the second highest point scoring driver in the team that year out of the four mm-hmm. and yet we were the one that got dropped so um it never made any sense to me and you know i can understand if a nine-time world champion comes knocking on your door, of course you're going to take it. And unfortunately, we were we were the collateral damage of that, if you like, of of, of Seb coming back. So um, yeah, again, I think we could do. We yeah. just had to uh, accept it and, mm-hmm. and try and move on. Yeah, but like once again, you know, your bikers stepped up, and you know, you, they got a, a like a budget together for you to go and do um, Finland and an M Sport car, but unfortunately. It didn't happen yet. Nothing's in testing, but like one of those very unfortunate things. But to have that support behind you, it must give you great pride. It does, and you know, we after the end of two thousand eighteen, we could have very easily just gone gone home, sat on the couch, and wait for the phone to ring and go, all right, someone will ring us. There'll be an opportunity. But we've never ever had that work ethic. We've never had that sort of. Um, I guess we never relaxed or rested on our laurels. So, you know, we went out and we worked our way to try and figure out how we're going to get back there. And, you know, even for Hyundai New Zealand to accept us to go back and do it on a Ford was massive. You know, we built a very long, loyal partnership with Hyundai New Zealand and um, we didn't want to just throw that away. So for them to give us permission to go do some events on Ford was massive. And we had to raise another half a million dollars in 19 um, to do, obviously, firstly Finland, which didn't work out, um, you know, I, I do literally put the, the, the tests in accident in Finland down to a freak accident because yeah. you know, often you look back on things and you go, okay, what would have I done differently? And often you you know, you learn from something, you go, Yes, I made a mistake, I would have done this or and then you, you develop as a driver. Uh, but that particular incident, there was absolutely nothing I would have done differently if I went back because you just didn't even see it coming. So uh, that is just literally being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So and then, of course, then we tried to um, do Rally Australia after that, which we had to find more funds for. Uh, and then, of course, Australia was cancelled with the bushfires. And then and then the third attempt was then we had an opportunity to do four rallies with the second customer team uh, of Hyundai and the WRC in 2020. And we had a four-round program together, which included Rally New Zealand, which was supposed to be back on the calendar. And then we get the contract uh, two days before COVID breaks out in New Zealand. And then, of course, once that broke out, the contract went like this because all the people and all the companies and everything that we had to find the money for 
yeah. uh, we got too nervous. So um, we tried three times to get back to the WRC, um, and none of them succeeded. And mm-hmm. you know, that's it was crazy for, for it to happen like that. But uh, yeah. mm-hmm. nevertheless, that's the way it is. Yeah, and like you know, as you say, that the work ethic you have, like many another man would have laid down and the coach never mind sat on the couch and pulled a blanket up over their head. You kept, you know, you, you keep coming back, you keep bouncing back. You've, you know, you've developed a high end the AP4. Um, would that be sort of a quantitative R5 here? Yep. And, yep. You know, a hugely successful car that has been developed by, you know, yourself and your, your team. Like, somewhere at the stats there, somewhere uh, you've, you've entered 18 rallies, 14 ones. Like that's fantastic. It must give you immense satisfaction to be able to do that. You know, to have your stamp on that car. Uh, yeah, I think it's a very Kiwi attitude that um, us Kiwis we like getting our hands dirty and we like being involved. And you know, I've never been the one to sit still. I've I've always got to keep busy and uh, I always want to be pushing the envelope. Um, I get very bored if I do the same thing as everyone else. So you know, coming back here, we've built up our own team now. We've got some really really good young people here and developing the combustion AP4 car, obviously building the EV car. Um, it's always about what's the next step and trying to push things. And, you know, even at AP4 car, we've been campaigning that now for four years. And every year, it's, even though we might be winning rallies and, and we might be quite competitive, it's never enough. You always want more. You want more from the car. You want more from myself. It's always that that um, addiction to want to go faster, which mm-hmm. just can never... It's like an itch that you can't scratch. You can yes. never go fast enough. And uh, yeah, I, I just love trying to make stuff go faster and develop it and work as a team. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back here in New Zealand with our own team, it's it's very cool environment that we've got here. Yeah. And you, you just mentioned the, the, the EV car there. Like, I, I'll bring Connor in this here. Connor, like, you're you're more of the unelectric side of things. Phenomenal what you've achieved there, isn't it? You know, it's it's incredible the project. How how did that come about, Hayden? I had read before that um, you know somebody somebody had suggested it to you, and I think you laughed at the at the, the notion or the idea. I don't know if that's true or not, but how how did the whole EV project come about for yourself? Ah, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I was sitting in a car park of a supermarket in 2017, actually, and and we're talking about sponsors and the commercial side of things, and and they mentioned, well, look, an EV car will actually had all had all the right spots for you to attract new partners in commercial investment and yeah I, I laughed at them back in 2017 because you know I'm a petrolhead I, I still am a petrolhead you know you love noise you love cars that's why we love motorsport um, but that idea over the, the course of 2017-2018 just started melling in the back of my head I started talking to more people about it um, talking probably more so to people outside the sport and, and you know I think sometimes in motorsport we we get very tunnel vision and we, you know, our sport's actually very small in the scheme of the world. And there's so many other people and other potential interested parties uh, outside our sport um, that could help it grow and become something much bigger. And, and they were they were the people I began talking to and getting a lot of interest from. And then, of course, that coupled with coming back to New Zealand uh, at the end of 2018, losing that contract, uh, really lit this fire inside going, I'm not done yet. I've, I've still got something to give. I, I want to go win still, and I want to go do it with a Kiwi team. And, you know, then you had to look, okay, I've got a five, 10-year plan in place now to go back there with a New Zealand team, our own team. And then you look at that five, 10-year plan, and you go, well, what are the cars going to be? And it's very clear with how the automotive industry is changing now that it will be EV or hybrid or hydrogen or whatever it may be. It won't be a full combustion car. So I saw there was a window of opportunity to go, okay, 
let's get a head start on this. Let's start now in New Zealand. Um, you know, we've got a governing body here that's um, trying to encourage innovation. The rallies are more compact in New Zealand. Um, Kiwi ingenuity goes a long way as well. And um, often when you're down here on the other side of the world, you can sometimes develop projects in a, a quieter way, if you like, and then come out and surprise people. So, yeah, it was a combination of a whole lot of things about how the project came around. And then, of course, we started it in 2019 and, and launched the car last year. And, and just on it, we're, we're, we're seeing obviously the regulations for the WRC has gone towards a hybrid, but, you know, EVs aren't too far away and, and we can see that certainly the regulations are going to, to, to change in, in a couple of years towards the EV. Have you had much interest or approaches or, or even, you know, anybody from the teams or the manufacturers approaching you to, to find out how you've gone about this or ask for your input or your, your thoughts? Uh, not so much yet, because we, we, obviously we still have to make the project work on a full-length rally. Um, we're probably still 12 months off that, so we've obviously got the car running, we're doing testing and developing, but we're doing it with a smaller prototype battery at the moment that helps us to establish what we need to make it work in a full-length rally. Um, but yeah, no, hopefully next year we'll have it working in a full-length rally. And, and you know, some of the motive behind that is you know, our business model is about developing technology and technology solutions. but. From a sport perspective, you know, us alone, we're a team of seven people at the moment. We can't change the sport. We can't make the rules. Uh, but we can make a statement. And, that, and if our statement can be that a full EV can work in a full-length rally, then there's no excuses why the sport can't develop. And, and the reality is rally has to develop. Uh, you can see there now, there's effectively five or six seats at the top level of WRC for drivers. And, you know, that's wrong in any form of motorsport. And... Um, there's no new manufacturers at the moment talking about coming in. Um, and until the sport is relevant to the industry and the automotive industry that is, manufacturers won't come in because, you know, at the end of the day, if they're pouring in hundreds of millions of dollars, um, they need to sell a hell of a lot of cars to recoup those costs. It, it is a marketing exercise. They're not just doing it for shits and giggles. Um, they need a return on that investment and the sport then needs to be relevant to one, help them develop technology for the road car and then two, help them showcase the technology of why their brand and their product is more superior than others. And that's why I think whether we like it or not, um, as pure fans, uh, if we want to see the sport alive, if we want to see cars going fast, going sideways, then we need to accept that this natural development has to happen. Mm. And, and what do you call it? Just, just you mentioned costs there for teams and that. And I know we're looking at, you know, close to somewhere between 800,000 to a million uh, euros for the current works cars, you know, per car, with the likes of the, uh, you know, the electric vehicles, do you think those will be affordable down the line, or is it again, is this going to be manufacturers only running these, or, or you know, will we, will somebody coming in, um, you know, to do, uh, what do you call it, uh, R five level or something like that, be able to afford to run these? Yeah, it's a hard one. Um, there isn't, I don't think there is any correct answer at the moment in terms of the future of rallying. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's not all motorsport or all rallying, it's got to go EV. It's, it's only ever got to be that top tier of the sport where that main manufacturing commercial money is coming in that gives the sport the profile, the following, and then that drip feeds into all other levels of motorsport around the world uh, from combustion, club level, whatever. You know, it gives the sport the profile and the following. Um, but yeah, like at the moment, the technology is expensive. Like our car here to build now is is eye-watering uh, expensive, but, you know, it's a matter of us biting the bullet because we want to, you know, we want to put our flag in the sand and, and, and state that we're here as a team. And if we wait, 
um, for it to become cheaper, then you know everyone will be doing it and we've missed that opportunity. But I think it's a simple supply and demand. Um, as time goes on, the technology will get cheaper. Um, and you know that might take two or three years to trickle through. But yeah, in terms of the future, it's really, really hard, whether it's with the WRC cars going into a, a full hybrid or um, EV system, uh, or whether it's a converting an R5 car, a lesser car into a hybrid. Um, you know, the new WRC regulations for next year with the hybrid system is actually very small. It's a very, very small battery that ain't going to do a whole lot. Um, it almost seems like a bit, a bit of a tick the box um, item to, just so they can call the cars hybrid. Um, but the actual effectiveness of that hybrid system is, well, we're yet to see, I guess, the proof will be in the pudding. But on paper, it doesn't look that promising. Mm. And, and you're working with Skull, um, who are developing the, 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 the electric rallycross cars. Do you think that's probably where you'll get to showcase you know, your, your car? Or do you think there will be an opportunity to actually get it? You know, how long do you suppose do you think before it can physically rally you know, competitively? Uh, so we're only focused on rallies. Um, obviously, this technology exists in rallycross, where it's a lot more logistically achievable. Um, we're taking it to the next step and going, well, no, we, you know, my passion's rallying and that's where I want where I want to prove the point with this. So, um, yeah, as I say, that's what makes the process so long in terms of trying to make it logistically work in a rally. But there's a lot of technology getting developed in the background right now that I, I would suspect as soon as maybe even halfway through next year will make it not too dissimilar to a petrol car in terms of you'll be able to get that same sort of range around 50, 60 kilometres um, out of, uh, out of a battery charge, which is the same as what you get out of a full tank of gas. And then we might even see five, 10 minute fast charges, which is not that different to refueling the car. So um, it's developing at a fair rate or not that will all of a sudden make it potentially possible uh, in the in the quite near future. Okay. And then just, I suppose from the naysayers and, and those afraid of change and stuff, the one thing they always say, oh no, with the electric vehicle, there'll be you know no sound or no noise or no bump. So, so what's your answer to that? Uh, well, there will be noise. It's, um, I think people are too quick to judge is, is really where it comes back to because, you know, EV and motorsport hasn't been around that long. Combustion cars have been around for decades. Um, so, you know, we have, to, we have to be patient. It's the biggest thing. You know, one of the biggest things we're working on at the moment is a sound generator, which, yeah, we're quite delayed on it, but it is coming. And that will come in motorsport. You know, there will be noise. There will be sound. It'll be a different noise. It'll be a different sound. But, you know, for people who don't want to like EV purely based on the sound, I think it's a little narrow-minded because, you know, in the world of motorsport, there's a lot of bad-sounding cars. There's a lot of good-sounding cars. But it, is come, it comes down to a matter of opinion. You know, there's people uh, now, you know, who, who love the old BDA Escort screaming in the forest and they just hate the sound of a turbo car. Yet, you know, now we're just going through another transition where we're going from the turbo car to an EV car. Um, we've actually come across with this project lots of people that love the sound of an EV car. There's also a lot of people that hate the sound of it, but there's also a lot of people that do like the sound of it. So it is a matter of opinion, uh, if you like. If you if you put sound aside for one moment, because I think that will change and it will develop, then all of a sudden you've got a car that's going to go faster. It's going to be more spectacular. Uh, from a driving perspective, it's a lot more fun to drive. Um, you know, all of a sudden it, it, it's ticking all the boxes, you know, that, that you can make them look cool, you can do whatever you want with the engineering and the capabilities of the technology and then in the engineering long term is uh, tenfold to what we currently have. Um, you know, the combustion cars almost hit a bit of a brick wall in terms of development. So now we have this opportunity to almost start again 
and make things go even faster. And you know, in my mind, that's what motorsport's about. It's about going fast. It's about speed. That's what makes people, you know, stand up and take notice. Like I'll just jump back in there again. You know, you're saying about the way technology. Like in the early eighties, you know, two wheel drive was king, and then the Audi came along with this four wheel drive, and this was going to be the real nation of rallying. And look, look where we're at now, forty years later. Like, yep. And you think I'm sure I wasn't, I wasn't around back then, but I'm sure there was a lot of pushback about four wheel drive rally cars Absolutely, for the first yeah. time. Yeah, you know, that's so, going um, to be the real nation of the sport, and look where we're at now. You know, so. Yep, definitely. It's, it's changed, and you know, especially in the world that we live in now with social media and how people are so connected, you know, people hate change, and um, it's no different in rallying. And I think it's great because it shows people passionate, it shows people care about the sport, they care about everything, and um, it's good that people are passionate about something. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're talking about like you, there's a ten year plan. Do you see yourself as a as a driver in this ten year plan, or are you going to help develop new young talent coming up through there as well, or? Uh, a bit of both. Um, I might be might be in a wheelchair by the end, like on a walking <laughs> stick or something. But um, but you know the fact of the matter is I love driving. Um, you know I'll drive for as long as I can. But you know going forward, you know I'd love to be able to develop a team where we have got more than just myself driving. Um, there's some really good young drivers coming up through here in New Zealand, and would love to have some of them driving and involved in a multi-car team would be the ultimate. So um, but for sure, you know first and foremost I love winning, and you know if I get to a point where I, where I know I, I'm not good enough to win anymore, then of course, you know, and there's an opportunity to put someone in, the, in there that you can win for your team, then I'll be the first to put up my hand to do that. So, um, but as it stands right now, you know, I'm still trying to push myself as a driver and trying to develop and learn and um, don't feel like I'm getting any slower just yet. So uh, yeah, I'd love an opportunity to, to try and win a World Motorsport Championship with our New Zealand team. And when I say motorsport, that might not be the WRC, you know, it's probably as it stands right now, it's unrealistic to run a private WRC team. It's just simply too expensive. So that's why I say motorsport, because maybe in six, seven years, this, there might be various other forms of motorsport. Uh, might be rallycross, it might be whatever. Uh, mm. We want to be in a position where we can try and win that. Yeah. And if you, like, I suppose now to start wrapping up, uh, if you could go back to 2009 and give yourself some advice, was, is there anything you would do differently or is there anything you would say to yourself that, do this now, this will, this will help you in five, six years' time or whatever. Uh, I'm not really one for regrets or anything. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm quite proud of what us as a team did. And when I say a team, you know, from John as a co-driver, my father, all the supporters, and we gave everything 110%. For sure, these things, when you look back on now in hindsight and go, okay, well, maybe that wasn't quite the best. And, and probably the, the most difficult thing was a Kiwi coming into a European culture that was a big shock to the system and, and the way that everything works over there in the teams in terms of team structure in terms of what's expected of you as a driver you know the Kiwi way is that you come in and you try and help out in every area you know if you finish driving you go on to something else or something else or something else you just don't sit back and wait for the next driving thing and that's probably what took me the longest to adapt to was learning to step back and actually only drive and and not overstep the line in terms of trying to help with the engineers or, or or develop the car or whatnot and even though it was in the best interest of the team it was never you know it was never accepted that well in Europe so um you know if I was to change anything that's probably the one thing I would change in terms of trying to adapt into that European culture a little bit better yeah um, like we mentioned just very briefly earlier on like New Zealand some of the best roads in the world uh, 
would it just be magical. I know we want around the, the World Rally Championship here in Ireland, and hopefully next year. But I'm saying it's a dream of yours to be competing in New Zealand once again. I know you've done it in the past, but I'm sure you'd love to be competing in WRC in New Zealand. Yeah, well, I've always said I always had two dreams. One was to be a world champion. That's obviously uh, looking pretty hard at right at this moment. Um, but the second uh, goal to that was to try and win your home WRC rally. Um, so to try and win a rally New Zealand in a world rally car would be pretty surreal. Uh, we thought we nearly had an opportunity to do that last year because obviously rally New Zealand was on the calendar and, and we were pretty excited. We had a WRC program building towards that. And then, of course, COVID obviously ended all that. So... But I know here in New Zealand, they are still trying to fight to have a round back, maybe as soon as next year. Um, so they haven't given up yet. And um, if that does come back, then for sure, we'll make sure we're there. And we'll give it, it might be your one and only chance and try and give it a crack to try and win it. So, um, yeah, I'm still keeping, I'm still trying to be hopeful of it anyway. But, um, yeah, it'd be great to see Ireland back on in the WRC. I've never actually rallied in Ireland before, but I've seen all the bumpy tarmac roads and the narrow lanes. They just scare me by just looking at the videos. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be brave enough for those. <laughs> I would say you wouldn't be long getting onto the hang of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, uh, you know, I'm just been talking to you, like, th this last question, I suppose, is kind of redundant. You, like, you've competed at the highest level, you know, you've been one of those elite drivers, you know, you, you've, you've started out in your minis. Like, you obviously still get the same buzz on the start line of a stage now as you did right, you know, in those early days. You just still, you get the same love of the sport yet yeah. 100 even the morning of the rally uh even the rally we did a couple of weeks ago you still get nervous you still get the butterfly uh, the butterflies and that's really good because it, it shows it it means something to you still you still get the adrenaline and then once you get into the first stage and you've got the helmet on and you get into the zone and everything's working with the co-driver and the car and everything it's just you don't get any better feeling no matter what you're doing in the world it's just simply like being on a roller coaster, but you're in control of the roller coaster and um, and dancing with the car, if you like. So, uh, yep, I wouldn't change a thing. I love driving cars. It's what I'm born to do, if you like. So uh, I'll keep doing it for as long as I can. Well, Hayden, I really appreciate you taking the time. And all I can say is keep dancing. And it was a pleasure <laughs> to speak to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, actually, I'm, I'm terrible at normal dancing, but I can dance with a car, so I'll, I'll, just stick, I'll stick with that. Thank you very much, Lou, for taking the, the cool. time to join us. Great. Thanks Take so much, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was Hayden Padden, Connor Edwards, and myself, Kieran Dilly, talking rally. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Crunching Gears, and if you could please like and share it across all social media, and if you're listening to Apple Podcast, if you could rate it, it would be gratefully appreciated. And if you're watching it on the YouTube channel, if you could subscribe to that, that would be fantastic. Until the next time, take care, speak soon, and bye.